Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Eric Gradman to talk about taking a creative path. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. So I've been a huge fan of Eric for a long time, but a lot of listeners are really just going to be meeting you for the first time. So could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, these days, uh, I'm the co-founder and what I call Mad Inventor at 2-Bit Circus, which is a, uh, a micro amusement park in downtown Los Angeles. It's about 38,000 38, square feet of crazy high-tech games of all sorts, from VR to interactive game shows. And uh, my role is making crazy experiences and uh, running the park. Yeah, and and just to to give a sense of of what types of crazy experiences are, because I think a lot of people haven't actually been able to go to Two Bit Circus or or see it live in person in in LA. Yeah, what what are some of the things that that you've built for the park? So a couple things really stand out as being uh, emblematic of of the kind of entertainment we have there. One of the things is an interactive game show room. It's a hundred seat theater with touch screens at every table. Um, you sit at a table with some friends, you, uh, you're, you're participating in a game show like you would watch on television. There's a host up on the stage, a real live person um, running the show, stepping through trivia questions, running a wine tasting, whatever the show happens to be, but you're interacting with that person live. And you have to understand that we're talking right now during a global pandemic None of this stuff has been active since March. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'm going to just keep talking in the present like this still, This all still happens. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, it, the, the, see, having seen it in person myself, it's, you know, the, the thing that it, it really imparts if you're there, it's like you're feeling like you are part of this live game show on TV. Everything is done with the, the questions and answering and the, like the screens that are at every single one of the tables. It's, it's incredibly slick and super high production value. And Thank you. I guess the, the thing that, that people you know, may or may not be obvious is all of that was, was coded. But, and you oversaw it. A lot of that stuff you built directly yourself. And if I remember correctly, uh, there was a fair amount of React involved, Redis, some other things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to get into the tech stack of some of this stuff with you because I love talking about it and nobody ever wants to hear it. Uh, <laughs> but maybe I'll, maybe I'll share first just a couple of other things that I think really makes 2-Bit Circus stand out and, yeah. and will give us something else to talk about. Um, we also make what we call story rooms. A lot of people have done escape rooms. In an escape room, you get locked in a bank vault or you get locked in a, a wizard's dungeon and you have to escape and the adrenaline level goes up to 11 and stays that way. We try and create rooms that feel more like an episode of a television show. And so you will be learning to conduct surgery on a real puppet <laughs> body lying on an operating table in the middle of the room. Or you'll become a newscaster with a whole crew of newscasters. Or you'll be flying a spaceship. And these rooms are filled with computers. They're, it's, 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 it's a giant computer system. Lots of screens, all networked together all precisely synchronized and all the interactive content is centrally controlled and pre-scripted. And uh, it's it's a really engaging theatrical experience for a group of people. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, even that one that you mentioned, so, that, so the two that I think I've done is the, uh, yeah, what's the, the doctor one called? Dr. Botcher. Dr. Botcher's <laughs> Minute Medical School. Give us 20 <laughs> minutes, we will turn you into a certifiable <laughs> freelance surgeon. And then there's the, the space one, right? And then there's uh, Space Squad in Space, which is an older one, 
but mm-hmm. uh, still good. We put you basically on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. For us, it's the uh, the Space Squad uh, Infallible. The Space Squad Infallible, where <laughs> anything that goes wrong is definitely your fault. <laughs> yeah, both of those are amazing. And so, yeah, they're, they're like escape rooms, which a lot of people would be familiar with, but they have much more of a narrative arc uh, in a lot of ways, way more immersive and I think more relevant to us uh, and our listeners is a ton of custom software, right? Absolutely. All of this stuff is uh, is custom software. Obviously, we're using some of the same tools that you use in the web development world and in the theatrical world, but we're we're putting them together in unusual ways. So and yeah, oh, sorry, I just want to share one last one last sort of category, which is what we call midway games games that are very physical. Um, If you've ever been to a carnival, if you've thrown uh, the dart at the balloon or tried to get the ball through the hoop to win a teddy bear, we've recreated that with technology. And we're using computer vision, we're using uh, PLCs, motion control, projection mapping to create these very high-tech analogs for what were originally very low-tech games. And we, we preserve the sense of playing with your friends in the sense that you're elbow to elbow next to somebody. We've kept that because that's a very par- powerful part of the carnival. But we've added, you know, 4K projection mapping and, you know, air blowing in your face and laser rangefinders that detect exactly where the ball hits the wall. And I think because I know, David, that we're going to be talking a little bit about side projects, these games in particular arise directly from from experiences that I built as side projects. They just turned into carnival games over time. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's, that's actually what I was going to ask about next is how did this all come from? Where did all of this come from? I imagine, I mean, I know for a fact, like that this, this was not just, you know, created all at once, um, or, or the concepts for these things. It, it, there's a long evolution. So how, yeah, what was the step before this? How did how did you get into creating these things? The the seeds of what became Two Bit Circus started uh, many years ago. I was working at a rapid prototyping company, building prototypes for government contractors under the kinds of NDAs that give you, you know, night sweats. <laughs> working on robotics, working with computer vision, learning so much cool stuff that I couldn't tell anybody about. Yeah. Uh, my co-founder Brent Bushnell was was uh, he was the CTO of a an interactive restaurant company. Uh, he's the son of Nolan Bushnell, who created Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. So he has some uh, some great background in the game the game world. I have none of that. Um, and we and a couple of other people got together in a restaurant and an event. And I I hope I'm allowed to say, David, that you were one of those people. We've been hanging out, building crazy interactive stuff (laughs) together for 10 years now. Um, But it was this group of creative people who I think were all in the same position. A bunch of basically kids uh, who were learning awesome stuff, uh, wanted ways to apply the great technologies they were learning at work and the great new technologies that were being released to us. I mean, the iPhone had just come out, for goodness sakes. Oh, yeah. There was no better collection of battery powered sensors. What were we going to do with this thing? How were we going to misuse this thing? And we all uh, started doing weird stuff. We created interactive art. We created games. We took the stuff on the road. I mean, 
so many cool creative projects about that. Yeah, time. sorry, I'm just laughing because you just mentioned that the, the iPhone had just come out, and you just reminded me of of how, there, how old there you was were? like there was there was <laughs> sure, <laughs> but just just the thought that that one of the things that that we were playing with or that I was playing with at the time was like multi-touch, like oh wow, multi-touch, like what can you do with with multi-touch and these you know creating big multi-touch screens and all sorts of stuff with IR like the the idea that that was that was a thing. Sorry. Oh, totally. We yeah. both made IR uh, <laughs> IR transreflective touch surfaces and tried to figure out the kinds of interactions that worked on them. And then the iPhone came out and then everyone yeah. was doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think this is this is this is really relevant to a lot of a lot of our listeners will hear a lot. I mean, as some of some of the guests that I've had on this show actually will talk about the importance of, of side projects and, and personally, and I'm sure you feel the same. So much of my repertoire and the things that I've learned are directly attributable to specific side projects that I've taken on. And the, the things that, that I've wanted to make or build forced me to learn particular technologies and to get comfortable with them, push them to the limit, see where they're viable, not viable, uh, inappropriate. Sometimes it's even fun to, to take one of those things where they, they don't belong. And all of that learning then just has a way of really helping uh, in the professional realm. And sometimes it's pretty literal in the sense that I think with you, Eric, you can trace the lineage of some of those experiments and, and projects all the way to them being a commercial success and two-bit circus. Um, but I'm sure there's there's other ones. I mean, is there is there anything there that you want to talk about? I just want to reinforce that point that no matter what your age, whether you're four years old or whether you're 40 years old, you will never learn faster or more easily than if you're learning to further a project of your own. There's just something about the realization that anything you learn today, you're going to put to use in a way that you see fit and in a way that will benefit you directly. Maybe not monetarily, but maybe just it just helps your soul to, to, mm -hmm. to, to create something new. And if your desire and if your act of learning, if your process of learning is driven in that way, it's, it's going to take you in, in incredible directions. It's going to take you to incredible places and you'll remember it and you'll know how to apply it in novel ways. If your boss is holding a gun to your head and saying, <laughs> learn this thing, you, you will quit. learn it grudgingly <laughs> and you should quit and you should go someplace where they have like free massages and ping pong tables. Yeah. But also that's illegal. <laughs> the ping pong tables? Oh no. The gun to your head. Oh, the gun to your head. Um, but, but, but self-directed learning for your own, your own projects is it's just the best, man. And it's so much fun. So, yeah, I, I, one thing that I have heard when, when talking to people is that they, they, they recognize, okay, side projects are really important. But then they ask, like, what, what should I build? Like, what, what side project should I build? So how do, you, how do you think about that? I think that your side project should be driven not by the technologies that you want to learn. Mm. I think you're, you're, it's, sometimes it will be. Sometimes you can't help yourself. Sometimes some new framework or thingy comes out, you know, oh man, I want to try learn and react. I'm going to make a side project for react. Mm -hmm. That's hard. That's not the kind of constraint you want in your side projects. I think your, your side projects should always be driven by what interests you. And so, 
sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so do you think that's more like a hobby? Like if you're really into, let's just say video games, right? Is, is the idea that you should build something related to a particular game or if you're a musician, something related to your music or if you're a writer, like, is that what you mean? That's exactly right. I, I think, I think something that, that, that you you feel passionately about now, Hey, we're programmers. We feel passionately about computers. And so it's, it's okay for your side project to also be in the realm of computers. But I think some people approach side projects as a way to grow their skills incrementally around their jobs. And they think of their side projects as being like a halo around their jobs mm. that lets them grow their skills and potentially make them more valuable to potential employers who look a lot like the employers they have today. But I feel like the random input of finding some weird project, maybe it's related to something external that you love, like video games or writing or music, or maybe it's just some something weird in computers. Maybe it's, it's something off the wall. If you're doing web stuff, maybe you try making a video game. You know, just try doing something else. That entropy, that random input is going to stretch your brain in weird ways. Here's the thing. You're a programmer, right? You can learn, you learn to program. You can learn really complicated things. And the, the, the most complicated thing you will ever have to learn is not a new programming language or a new framework. It's the build system that your employer put in place, <laughs> right? Like, like the, the, the complexities of your job are much harder than the well-designed framework that you get to use to solve those problems. So don't worry about, you know, growing your skills to include a new framework just to say you learned it, right? Scratch an itch, yeah. solve, a, you know, like pursue a passion um, and, and learn things that are, that are often in weird orthogonal directions to whatever you would be doing at work. And it, it'll help your soul and you'll just discover you're better at learning generally. Yeah, I completely agree. Can we talk a little bit about some of your side projects? Maybe any that, that come to mind for you. Otherwise, I, I can certainly bring some some blasts in the past, like, uh, <laughs> like your pager belt. But, uh, oh, yes, the pager belt. Um, so, well, let me start with um, let, right now. I mean, hey, look, my, my amusement park is, is shut down and I'm sitting at home trying to spend uh, the hours of the day being productive. And for me right now, it's carpentry. Mm. And um, I'm not particularly good at carpentry. But God damn it, I love it. Can I swear on this program? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> Great. We'll just check that little box of like not Perfect. suitable for, for I, whatever. I love it. You know, I've I've basically turned my my garage into a wood shop and I'm out there every day, um, you know, getting cut up and bruising my fingers and it's it's joy. Now, this is a sort of a, this is very much an orthogonal to my role as a computer programmer and a show designer and a theatrical person. I've had tons of side projects that are software and robotics related. So you brought up the the, the pager belt. You know, many years ago, I uh, decided to. I read. A, I think I read a Wired article mm -hmm. about a guy who had attached uh, a MEMS compass, a, a microelectromechanical system compass, like the, the kind of compass that you now find in your in your iPhone. There were no iPhones then. He attached that to his belt. Uh, he wired up a bunch of pager motors. And uh, he rigged it so that whichever direction he was facing, he would feel a vibration in the direction of north, thus creating a proprioceptive sense of, of where north is. So it was like a ring of, ring of pagers. It was a so ring of pagers yeah, arranged yeah. on the belt around his body. Yeah. So, you know, so it's a compass 
that is attached to your waist. And you always, and if you wear it all day, you always know which way north is. And I found this very interesting and I wanted to build my own. You know, mm-hmm. this, is, this wasn't an original idea of mine, but I have a, a I believe to be a sort of special relationship with space and I, I never get lost and I, I love wayfinding and I love hiking. And uh, I wanted to see what it was like to develop that proprioceptive sense for myself. Mm-hmm. So I built one mm-hmm. and um, it was cool. It was really great to, to perform that experiment on myself and see how having that thing on my waist um, affected my body. And in the process, I got to learn uh, milling, uh, manual milling for the first time with, a, with, a, with a, a milling machine. I got to learn some electronics I hadn't done before. I'd never worked with MEMS devices before. I had to figure out how to power it. I had to figure out how to connect it to, to all the motors, figuring out a battery system that, that, that was easily chargeable. And it just sort of grew my skills. Did I wear the, did I wear the, uh, the belt for all that much? No, that wasn't the point. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't the point. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you do bring up a, 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 an important point though, which is this wasn't an original idea. And I do think that some people get a little bit paralyzed by the thought that what they come up with, like, shouldn't have been done before, you know, that you can't just clone a game that you like, or a service that you like or something like that. But just getting inspired and seeing something that is really interesting to you that you want to see how it works or how it feels or uh, get just a deeper sense of it, building it yourself so that you can see the insides and go through the mental exercise of what it's like to design it out and to work with it in steps is incredibly valuable. You know, that's you you raise a very interesting point there. Um, When you build a side project for yourself, you have all the jobs. You are the product developer. You are the product designer. You are the project manager. You are your own boss. You are the developer and you're the CEO. But I think the most important one is the designer. Mm. You, get to, you get to go through the thought process of figuring out what is this thing going to be? You get to decide who is this designed to help? Is it designed to help me? Is it designed to help others? Oftentimes at work, that stuff's already done for you. That's given to you. And your job is to make it so. Yeah, making it so is 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 fun and it can be lucrative, but but being being the person who originates the idea. Sorry, I want to take that back. Be, being the person who decides how the idea, even if it's not original, becomes a reality mm-hmm. is such an important skill. And it teaches you to be practical, prudent with your time, prudent with your energy. You will find yourself thinking at work, hmm, I'd really like to use super new React framework X. But it, maybe it's not prudent. Maybe maybe it's mm-hmm. okay that I use the old one because my goal isn't to use the coolest new technology. My goal is to solve this problem. It, it sort of puts you in the mindset of of the people who will sadly say no to you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so so right. So I love that you're saying that it puts you into all of these roles because I think I think that's that's great. Like you become the designer, the product person, the CEO, all of these all of these different roles. And I think it might be tempting to think, oh, well, that's useful because I may want to be a CEO or I may want to be a designer. But I I think it's I think it's more like the value, even if that's not the case and you don't want to try and become those those people or or slide into those roles. I think it's really important just as a developer mm-hmm. to have that perspective so that when you are working with these people, 
it goes so much more smoothly. You can understand that that perspective. And you bring up you you bring up the uh, the using the super latest framework, whatever it is. So right now, Svelte might be really hot, and so a lot of people might be thinking, okay, oh Svelte. God, Svelte. I haven't Svelte. even heard of this. One. Did you just make this one up, or is this a real new thing? No, this is a this is a real oh one. This God. is a real one. So a lot of people might be thinking, okay, Svelte just got TypeScript support. So that is clearly going to be the next big thing. It's going to take over. It's going to be huge. And I think there's probably a good number of, of listeners out there who are thinking, God, you know, if only I was allowed to use this at work on our next project, I'm going to really push for whatever that new feature is or that new service that we're going to build. I'm going to do it with this thing that I've never used before. And I think it's important to recognize that even if, even if it were your own side project and you are the CEO, the, the CTO, the product person, the designer, and so you have full power, right? You, you can do whatever you want. There's no one who can tell you no. Depending on what your goal is, that may not be what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if your goal is much more in line with getting this done quickly and effectively and efficiently because you don't have a lot of time for whatever reason, and it's more important to you to finish than it is to learn Svelte, then it may not be a good idea. Now, on the flip side, maybe it's more important to you to get experience with Svelte and TypeScript than it is to finish this thing and and have it working and getting in front of other other users and other people to, to give you feedback. And if that's the case, by all means, you know, experiment. Uh, yeah, I think you, I talked a little. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, you, these are both great reasons to reconsider jumping on the latest, newest thing. But actually, I, I have another one, mm. which I, I think is even simpler. I've I've been drawn in by the siren song of a new framework or a new toolkit before. We all have. It's so cool. It's like, oh, all I want to do is I want to try this new way of solving my problem. But it's kind of like ordering something online and waiting for it to be delivered. Mm. The anticipation is so much sweeter than the reality. And consider, you know that in six months, you're going to be looking at Smooth, the new Smooth. (laughs) And you're going to be thinking, I can't believe, I can't believe I ever waited for Svelte. Because now, Smooth, I mean, we need to be using this. You are going to get bored with this framework too. And so you might as well at at least give something long enough to get stuck in your head well enough that you're productive with it rather than just learning a new toolkit all the time. Remember, you are writing the legacy software of tomorrow. You are writing the legacy software of tomorrow today. That is exactly right. David, is there a framework called Smooth? I feel like in the JavaScript world, you guys have created every possible name. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like if you you just said it, it now exists. Now it exists. Yeah, Yeah, I can get it on NPM already. I'm going to refrain from from looking to see what what smooth on npm actually so, is while so we're tempted. while we're talking, but I'm not I'm not going to do it. Um, okay, so let's 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 talk about uh, some of the, some of the other things and how how you approached it because I love that one. That one is you're literally reading an article, you're getting expired like inspired, you're curious about this thing, and then you want to investigate. And so you, you start building. Are there, are there other ones uh, that that has, has been like the same way that it works? Sure. Or have there been other at inspirational avenues that other people could learn from? So one, one side project that has that same flavor, I think, but is less, you know, implementing something I read about in a magazine is the face logger. Mm. Uh, so I have, I have a problem. 
I am face blind. For those of you who aren't familiar with face blindness, I have real trouble recognizing people. If I, if I see a coworker at the supermarket, I won't know who they are. They have to be sitting in their seat at work for me to recognize them. So I have a lot of trouble remembering names. I have a lot of trouble remembering faces, and it's been a problem my whole life. I decided that I would fix it with technology. This was a problem that I had, and I wanted to see if I could fix it. You will see that it, it you know, it, I don't know that I actually fixed it, but I tried. I was also inspired by what was relatively new at the time, Amazon Mechanical Turk. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, there's a computer system out there in the world that's actually people, but I can program it. I still love that idea. Yeah. And it was a technology that I wanted to, I wanted to understand what it was like to play with programming people in that. So the face logger, this project that I built many years ago now, uh, was a camera that hung around my neck. And I did not build this camera. I modified uh, some off-the-shelf camera that was designed for the for a yeah, related purpose. It was a video camera that would always record, but when you pressed a button, it would save the preceding 30 seconds. So I go to a party. I meet you. I say, hi, I'm Eric. You say, hi, I'm David. We shake hands, and then I press the button. And this camera has now captured our first interaction. It's got your face. It's got, it's got your name. This 30 seconds of video is uploaded through my phone to Amazon Mechanical Turk, where somebody who I don't know on the other side of the world <laughs> is going to isolate a great screenshot of your face, figure out your name from context. We've got GP, we, it includes the GPS coordinates. It knows the time of day, all this stuff. And this person will construct what I call the face card, which is actually a flashcard. And now I have this very easy to flashcard record, this artifact of our interaction. So if I want to remember you later, I have all the contextual clues I need to be able to to stick your your face into my memory and recall it later. And this is not something that anybody had ever developed before, as far as I know. And it gave me an opportunity to play with a new tool, not a new programming language, but a new idea. And that idea was programming people around the globe. Yeah. I mean, so that one, that's that's very much the the archetype of scratching your own itch. Like this is something that you felt strongly about. You had something that you were wanted to to improve or or help. Uh, and you were you were the customer. You wanted to to use this, you know, in in your life. And I think there's so much opportunity for that. I mean, as developers, we are I don't know, kind of, I guess, to toot our own horns here a bit. I mean, we are really, the tools that are disposable and like the power that we have to change and modify our own worlds and like environments. I I mean, I think we are extremely fortunate and lucky to be able to do that. And one of the things I do want to make clear is that the, the power that we have, it, it's more of a like second order or I don't think I'm going to, I don't think it's right that it's more like a meta power, but you, you didn't go to school for learning how to manipulate that camera or how to use mechanical Turk. Like the, the, the power was more that you could learn those things just in time as you needed them. And as the product dictated it. And that's really where I think, you know, the demonstrating with a side project to let's just say a future employer or or anyone that that you want to talk to. I mean, what you're demonstrating is that you can handle novel challenges and novel problems, effectively, whatever they are. So if you start a job and 
you know, you get asked to do this thing that's never been done before, there's there's a much better chance that you can handle it if you've already thrown yourself in those types of situations before. Here's a novel problem that I have. I don't know if other people have it. I want to solve it. There's no existing solutions. How am I going to do it? I'm going to learn this technology as I go along. And that's really powerful. I'm so glad you brought that up. Most places, when they interview new developers, they'll ask the potential hire, do you know JavaScript? Mm -hmm. Potential hire says, yes, I do. Potential employer says, show me, right? Well, all right, great. Yeah, I mean, you've met the, the precondition. We're hiring you to do JavaScript. You know JavaScript, we hire you. Great. That's not how I interview. Mm. When I interview, I ask you, do you know JavaScript? Yes, I do. I said, okay, program this thing for me in C Sharp. <laughs> oh my God, I hate you. It's horrible. Oh, it's <laughs> so horrible, right? But but the point is, I am I am not hiring you because... <laughs> you know everything you need to know in order to solve my problem, right? Or to solve our problem, right? I'm hiring you because you are going to be confronted with challenges that you've never confronted before, right? Using frameworks and APIs and and systems that you've never seen before. How quickly can you get up to speed, right? Can you learn this, this can you, you know, learn Redis fast enough to be able to connect to it with Python and talk to it in Unity? Like, can you solve this problem? And believe me, Success is not the goal here, right? It's not the criteria. Mm-hmm. The criteria is, do you freeze up or do you dive in? And people who dive in, the people who dive in effectively are people who have been put in that position over and over and over again. And people who are in that position over and over again are in it because they do it to themselves because they love it. Yeah. And and I think that's one of those things that you can you can learn to enjoy it. And you can... You can look back on all the times that you've done it with these side projects and recognize that that initial feeling of like, oh shit, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And then look back and be like, yeah, that's exactly what I said to myself all those other times. And well, I did it. And that's that is that is a really good source of confidence. That's a great source of of it's just a good good ability to have. Yeah. If you can learn any language, you can learn every language. If you can build one thing, you can probably build anything, but don't ossify. Don't don't get stuck in your ways. And, you know, moving from React to Svelte or now Smooth <laughs> isn't isn't the kind of incremental learning that actually grows that confidence and grows that muscle. Yes, Svelte was designed to solve exactly the same problems as React was, right? So now learn something else, right? Do something completely orthogonal to that because you're growing your ability to be flexible and to handle all the stuff that's going to be thrown at you throughout your career. So, okay. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, a little bit deeper about what you look for when you are hiring and the, the interview questions. I do like the one, uh, although I think that's a particularly hardcore one that I would not enjoy. Uh, I'm an evil bastard. I would say like personally, I, I take a, a conceptually similar one, but I, is is more of a, hey, have you ever used this this framework or this library before? No, great. Okay, do this this thing in it, and mm-hmm. and that shows the ability to do what I would say all senior developers do, which is okay. Let me you know Google, read the documentation, mm-hmm. play with it a bit, and and see what I can do. So okay, so so what else do you do you look for when when hiring developers? Sure, you know I've hired both 
junior and senior developers in the past. And I tend to prefer hiring more junior people and training them up. Mm. That's been my preference. I've, I've turned interns into the most valuable team member multiple times. And I think it goes back to what I described earlier as the hardest thing you will ever learn is the crazy process your boss put in place for for building and shipping the, the product. The, yeah. you know, the programming language was designed to be easy to use. The APIs were designed to be easy to use. The build process, the, uh, the code base that you're working in was not designed for any of those things. It was probably designed in a hurry by a bunch of people who were trying to meet deadlines, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, being very experienced in any particular framework or tool, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that the person I'm hiring meets the minimum threshold of being a motivated self-learner, mm-hmm. self-teacher. And beyond that, they're going to have to, they're going to have to learn everything else. Right. And so I do inquire very quickly about side projects. I really do focus on that in the interview process. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to establish a baseline of programming skill. So I will give some basic programming questions in a language I know they don't know, um, using tools that I know they don't know. But m- m- more often, more importantly, I'm looking for that, that passion for side projects. If you say, if you answer the question, hey, wh- what do you do with your spare time? What kind of side projects are you, wor- are you working on? If that gets a blank stare, out the door. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not interested. So, okay. So, so there, there actually is like some pushback within, I guess, the, the wider development community against side projects. And I think a tweet that I saw recently went something along the lines of like, when hiring a plumber, do you ask them about their plumbing side projects? And I think that this has to do a little bit with, you know, not everybody has a lot of free time and, um, or they may have a lot of commitments that they can't really do a lot of coding outside of work hours. Now, personally, I, I've always found the time and, and maybe I'm lucky in that regard. And one of the the things that I've talked about with my wife, who's, who's a lawyer is, you know, she just mentioned there's, there's very little opportunities for, um, you know, hobbyist lawyering, but, I am curious, like, do you, do you find that there's, there's a problem in our industry for putting an emphasis on this? Like, can you see the other side? If you're hiring programmers for the same reasons that you're hiring, hiring plumbers, you probably are doing something wrong. There's, (laughs) there's, there's a big difference between what a plumber does for you and what a programmer does for you. And I'll get into that reason in a second, but because that difference exists, it's totally fair to ask a programmer what their side projects are. The difference between a plumber and a programmer, and the, the, thing that, the, thing, the essential difference that I think undermines that tweet is that you're hiring a plumber to solve a problem with a known solution that the plumber knows and you don't. Mm. You're hiring a programmer to solve problems that don't have known solutions. Mm. You're asking a programmer to act outside the rule book. And when you're asking someone to act in that way, it's not necessarily creativity that you're asking for for a programmer. I mean, certainly there are many programmers who aren't acting create- creatively in their jobs, but you are asking them to respond to stimuli and situations and challenges 
that they have definitely never run into before because no one has run into them before because you invented them in your product development process. That's not true of plumbers. And I don't mean to demean plumbers. It's just that plumbing requires a certain set of skills, a certain set of challenges, and programming requires a different set. I'm curious if it also has to do with proactivity. You know, is, is, is what, what you're looking for just the idea that someone would recognize opportunities or, or issues and then without anyone telling them or paying them, go ahead and try and solve those things. And, and as, as someone who's a hiring manager, is that, is that almost what you're looking for? Like if you're going to be on my team, like I'm not always going to be the one that's like telling you what to do. Is that part of it? Certainly. That's why I hire interns and try and transform them into experienced developers. Because I think what I want in an experienced developer is someone who can identify the problems that I haven't even identified and proactively address them. And by the way, I got to get back to plumbers for a second. My uncle's a plumber, but he invents plumbing products, right? He's, you know, he started off just fixing sinks and he, he realized that there were problems that no one had solved in plumbing before. And so it is possible to to be a plumber and act outside the rules, right? And to to know what to do when uh, when your training runs out of guidance for you, right? Oh man, that's so funny. Now I'm imagining actively not wanting a plumber who has invented things. Right. You know, you, I'm interviewing a plumber and I'm saying like, okay, so <laughs> have you here, done any here. creative plumbing, you know, projects, side projects or inventions? And they say, yes, let me tell you about this, this super. And it's like, okay, no, we're done here. I don't want any of that anywhere. No, near my I, no I want that. But here's the thing. Look, <laughs> you, I, hey, programmers are smart people, right? I got a lot of respect for anybody who can go to school or, or go to a class or self-teach themselves to program. If you can learn to program, you can learn to be a plumber too. YouTube is an amazing resource. I am a huge DIYer, maybe to a fault, but you know, I know that if I have a plumbing problem in the house, I can watch a YouTube video or read a manual and I can probably fix it until there's no YouTube man, there's no YouTube video or there's no manual that addresses the problem because I have a weird one. And then I want the person who can think outside the box. I want the person who has side projects who is used to encountering problems that they've never seen before. Right. And solving them in creative ways. And plumbers do it. Programmers do it. I want that person. I agree with that. So, okay. So, so now let's, let's just pretend, uh, this is, this is something that, that I'm always curious about. Let's just pretend that, that you are, it's really difficult to make this internally logically consistent, but <laughs> we'll just roll with it. But let's just pretend that you yes, had just graduated. Yeah. You had just graduated from a coding boot camp today. Thanks, and, Mr. Gutman. <laughs> and um, what would you, yeah, what would you do? Like, what would your strategy be for finding your way in the, in the technology world? That's a good question. I think, I don't know that the value of a great portfolio is as strong as people. I, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of go against my, my previous point here. And, 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 you know, I've been saying do side projects, do side projects, do side projects. Yes. Do side projects. I don't think putting those side projects on your resume is necessarily going to help you, right? Mm. The reason you do side projects is it's for you. It's to help you. It's not going to make you famous on the internet. It's not going to necessarily cause you to stand out in any way in the hiring process because 
hiring processes, at least until very late in the game, when you're actually sitting in a chair in front of a person talking to an interviewer, the matter of what you do with your spare time isn't really going to come up. But what I think you can do is use side projects for two other two other goals. One is to help you identify other industries you might not have thought of that you can work in. I mean, mine is a perfect example. Um, if, if you know how to program JavaScript or you know how to program Python, you might want to work in web development or you might want to work in scientific computing. But did you know you could also work for a circus, right? And, and not until you start using your, your toolkit, growing your toolkit, to solve other unusual problems, do you come into contact with the larger world of how people are using tools that you know to solve weird problems, right? Weird problem solvers find one another, right? So that's, that's, that's one thing you should do is, is use side projects as a way just to broaden your sense for what people do with these tools. You're doing something weird. Maybe somebody else is doing something weird with them too. Yeah. And the second one that. escapes me. <laughs> is it building escape rooms? It's definitely building escape rooms. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. I'm not going to struggle to find a second one. I had a good first one, so we're going to stick with that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I like yeah. it. So, so I think I agree with that. I, I wonder, is, is that something, it's almost like that's the, the angle of approach in some way. It's, it's that, hey, here are the skills that I have. Let me find a company that's like looking for those skills versus here are the problems that I like working on. So maybe the, the company more generally and let me figure out how I can help those those companies and solve those problems. Is that kind of in line with what you're thinking? That's that's a good distinction to make. I think a junior developer, having just finished a coding boot camp, is probably looking to get a job doing what they were just trained to do. And mm -hmm. that's totally fair. It's totally fair to to make the most lucrative use of the skills that you just acquired. It's totally fair. Um, later in your career, as you move on from that first job, as you realize that perhaps that was the wrong decision criteria to use, uh, you know, hey, you, you, you chose to take that coding bootcamp because you thought the industry that required those skills was potentially lucrative for you. But you may discover you hate it, or you may discover that the industry is tanking, or any number of, you know, any number of problems with that initial approach. So you now you're back out on the market. What are you going to do? I think that's the, the time to start to employ that angle of approach decision criteria mm -hmm. to say, yeah, I learned React. I could learn anything. What problems do I want to solve? And what should I learn in order to solve those problems? Yeah. For the person coming out of school, you know, having learned, having taken a, a coding bootcamp and having just learned a skill, it's hard. I, I don't envy you being in that position because you're going to want to use that skill. You just paid for that skill. I mean, but isn't that skill like widely applied, like whether or not, like if you know, let's say, you know, React, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you could either be working on a consumer facing like chat, you know, image sharing app, or you could be building uh, effectively internal tools that, that do financial modeling that, that replace Excel inside, you know, a big accounting or, you know, management consulting firm. And those are going to feel incredibly different, but they both would use React. I mean, is it, 
is it useful or possible for a junior developer to know like which types of companies that they would want to use React in? Uh, I had a I had a guest on the show, uh, Swix, recently who. I don't know if this exactly was his point, but it was sort of like that's not really expected of a junior. But I, I, I've struggled with that. I almost think that that is that's expected of anyone looking for any job is what company you want to work for and what problems do you want to use your tools to solve. I guess I want to I, I want to say that I'm the wrong person to answer this actually, and the reason that is <laughs> is because I don't tend to hire specialists. Mm. I tend to hire jacks of all trades. Mm. I tend to hire people who have a demonstrated or maybe if not demonstrated, then can at least convince me of the fact that they can learn anything quickly and apply it. I tend to hire programmers who've also done some electronics or fabricators who can also program. I like, I like it when people are, are multifunctional in that way because I'm a multifunctional per- person and I found that to be successful. Our teams have been small enough that we haven't needed to specialize in that way. Mm-hmm. I've never had someone exclusively working on front end stuff. Well, so, I think, yeah. Go ahead. So it, um, so I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't have been. I'm not a good person to give advice to someone who has now a single specialty. I can give advice to somebody who wants to grow their to 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 grow their their specializations and and succeed in that way. Awesome. Well. I think I think a lot of the advice uh, or, or a good amount of the advice that I hear nowadays that that's pretty popular is the idea to specialize. And I know that you're not alone. And I think it's probably really good for uh, our listeners to hear that specializing is really not the, the only way. And being more of a generalist and being able to learn quickly and be very adaptable is a very, very useful skill as well. I mean, maybe just specializing in being adaptable is is the way to think about it. Specializing in being adaptable. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, that's, that's it for today. Um, but uh, Eric, where can people find out more about you online? I have a website, a personal website, www.gradman.com. You can see some of the crazy side projects, and there is a long list of side projects there. Two-Bit Circus, hopefully will be coming back to life soon. Um, will somebody please just create a vaccine and save us all? And we'll be open again. You can visit us there. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Eric, it's always so much fun talking to you. Always a pleasure. Our- Thanks, David. All right, folks. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortosenior.io. I'll also put that in the show notes and you can get more information about joining our private community. Thanks, everyone. Bye.